Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Dave, uh, and this time around we've got something uh, completely different from anything that we've done before. Uh, we're going to talk to a wonderful man who uh, has written an academic paper on um, bleed, uh, which is a subject that we're all uh, very interested in, uh, as we're LARPers. Um, uh, David, do you want to introduce yourself and maybe give a bit of a background on, on some of your nerdier stuff before we get into the academics? Absolutely. Thank you, Dave. Uh, my name is David Aranzi. I'm a senior lecturer in consumer psychology at uh, Monash University in Australia in the Department of Marketing. Now, marketing is a bad word in the imaginary of many people, but it encompasses different traditions. It has psychology. It has anthropology so uh, my research is mainly the intersection between these two fields and in the LARP side what I do is trying to understand how we can use this context to um, to derive processes that happen in uh, in this specific consumption context and apply them to to broader ones and in this case uh, LARP but um, Dave's question was about my nerdiest side before um well i'm a nerd let's hear, let's, let's hear your credentials man you got to prove yourself to the audience before before you start. i am a nerd uh, since 1996 when i played my first session of dungeons and dragons first edition in the kitchen of my uh, apartment with a couple of friends and i think i died we had a respawn close i died five times within two hours i was so bad but for some reason i was playing an elf uh, there were no classes in uh, in first edition so you had like well you had four human classes and then the races uh, halfling um, elf and dwarf and and elves were basically i don't know warrior spellcasters and i was playing this chaotic elf really really badly but for some reason i became enamored of that game and then i started playing uh, uh, dungeons and dragons until the third edition and then moved to vampire at a certain point in, in my 20s i got like a dark turn and started playing a demon cult. yeah that that says a lot about you man like uh, yeah, i'm not here to judge but uh yeah <laughs> Yeah, I know. At a certain point, for some reason, uh, somebody convinced us that Dungeons and Dragons was too childish, and we had to embrace darkness. And so I started like playing Nosferatu's for for years, and and that got translated into LARP a year later because I thought, well, you know, like this is very. Whereas Dungeons and Dragons is a little bit harder to to do live, you can, but the suspension of disbelief is a little bit more complex. With uh, if you play a Game of Thrones uh, vampire political LARP style, you can do that much more um, easily. In a and you don't need an evocative location; you can do it in a in an underground in a basement somewhere. So, so yeah, that's that's what happened. And then through the years, I kept playing that until I moved to Australia. And then when I was in Australia, I realized I never played like an intensive LARP that goes for three days. And, and I became fascinated and a uh, research question about what can we learn from LARPs that actually helps uh, academia, companies and people. Uh, are the relevant things and we had two uh, in two projects the first one was uh, how do people learn to improvise and how does LARPing make you a better individual in terms of honing your reactive and proactive improvisation skills and that was published last year in administrative science quarterly and then this year and the reason why you contacted me is bleed which is like LARPers have a prime experience of the challenge of going into another world and returning from it and that transition happens to different scales in every journey that we uh, go through. Like when we come back from a holiday, when we recover from a relationship breakup, uh, when you 
come from a study abroad period, when you're a volunteer in the Peace Corps and come back. So there's a lot that we do constantly as LARPers because we simulate different lives, different worlds. And that is something that's very uh, clear and understandable for uh, people who LARP, who uh, play role-playing games, but not so much for uh, maybe those people. And so we are using these insights to also illuminate some of these similar processes that happen into these other contexts. Sure. And how did you kind of start with trying to gather information to try and gain information on the sort of subject like where do you kind of start what sort of questions do you ask how what sort of research did you do to kind of like try and draw some of these conclusions that you're talking about well um we use ethnographic methods and we use grounded theory which is a method that implies that you are constantly iterating between uh, existing theory and the data so at the beginning we didn't even start with the bleed question at the beginning we were just interested in see how people uh, live and appropriate narrative worlds that are branded because we were study uh, we were studying a game of thrones larp and our question was to what extent people that play such a Game of Thrones LARP for three days uh, and live different storylines in a narrative that it's still unfinished, how they integrate it and complement in the um, in the in the overall lore that's based in Game of Thrones, right? Um, to us, that was a magnificent question. Um, the journal did not believe so. So across many rounds of review, of course, you have to shift and to find compromises between what you think it's interesting and what the discipline once. And one of the elements we included in the first draft was also mentions uh, about bleed, because when we were talking about all the prerequisite to enter the Game of Thrones world, so what you need in terms of scenography and role, how these overlap into the material structure that is subjectively perceived reality, and the roles you play. Uh, but then, of course, the question was, then what happens when all of this uh, baggage that you have to uh, take on to enter the world comes with you out in everyday life and that appeared to be the most interesting question because surprisingly there is a lot of literature on uh, um, renaissance fairs reenactments uh, other extraordinary experiences since the 90s but it's mainly focused on how people enter these domains and what happens within in uh, within them and it's also very focused on the communities that it, that it produces but for some reason it stops most of the time uh, with the end of the event there's like very little mentions about what happens afterwards now I'm saying the extraordinary experience literature because there are other literatures. There are some scholars that do specifically role-playing that mention bleed, uh, characterize bleed specifically to LARP. But what we were looking at is talking with people that are LARPing to try to figure out a broader phenomena, a broader trajectory of return that is applicable to other, um, to, to other phenomena. Yeah, and so could you give examples of other, like, um, some other of these like extraordinary experiences that you kind of reference in the document and how they kind of how they are different from LARP, but maybe how they some some experiences might have similar traits if you as an experience. Oh yeah, so like um, let's let's do three examples. One would be cosplay. There is a paper by Uzva Seregina and Henry Wajo uh, in the Journal of Consumer Research. They are looking at cosplay. It is a type of extraordinary experience in that you. So let me define extraordinary experiences, which are yeah yeah. yeah. Extraordinary experiences are intense physically and emotionally. They are engaging in that they require engagement with a certain framework, like uh, a setting, like the uh, Lord of the Rings will be like a setting you engage with. And they're also temporally limited, so they start and end within 
um, a constrained period. So cosplay is considered an extraordinary experience because you take on a character, uh, it's limited in time, and in a way you're engaging with the frame of reference, which is uh, pop culture most of the time. Another paper was uh, Tough Mother, people that do the Spartans race and go through obstacles and subject themselves to enormous pain to try to, uh, let's say, compensate a 9-to-5 office life. That would be Another extraordinary experience because, again, it's temporarily limited, it's very intense, physically especially, and it's engaging because it engages with a community uh, and creates bonds. And uh, the third example would be uh, people that go to the Whitby Gothic Festival every year to, to the Abbey in England, right? So, again, temporarily limited, um, taking on fic fictional persona, different clans of vampires, different types, and, of course, it's based on Bram Stoker's Dracula as the frame of reference. So, yeah. um, do you, um, how do you consider immersion coming in over the top of all of this and how that affects this, this sensation of bleed and all the rest of it? Do you reckon there's a, a, a difference between, say, for example, a Tough Mother event, which might be quite intense and something where like a, an intense LARP scene where it's, uh, the immersion is significantly more when you're playing it as you're playing a different character? Um, this is a great question, and that is exactly the key. I think Bleed, we don't... There has been some changes in the last draft. So originally, the key to Bleed was exactly immersion. Uh, we had we called it narrative transportation because we're taking uh, a, a narrative ang angle, but it's really immersion, the concept. So the more you're immersed, and immersion can be a, a function of both your engagement with the setting, but also with your character and interaction with other characters, the, more, the harder it is. And it's not only immersion within the LARP, that would be one factor, but also the tension that this immersion produces when you return to everyday life. And by tension, I mean if you're immersed in a character that makes you realize you uh, can be a great person, you can be a great hero, you discover abilities that you never really uh, understood about yourself because you were never in that situation to, to, to try them out, and then you're dissatisfied of your current role in society or or in your current community, bleed intensifies, right? So it's not just the immersion, which is a key driver, but also the intensity between those two things. So, so a real-world example would be you go to a LARP weekend where you play a senior member of nobility or something, where you are constantly asked your advice and your decisions have lots of uh, power and agency and then you go back to your day to monday job and your supervisor's arguing with you why you're five minutes late for your shift type thing i'm, I'm assuming that's what you mean by like that kind of jarring sensation oh, you know? yeah that, that, that would be a good example i guess that would be a good example yeah um do you want to talk maybe about the process of writing the paper before we kind of get to some of the more conclusionary elements of it? Like, how did you find interacting with different LARP communities and asking these questions? And uh... oh, that was be that was beautiful. So, in the process of writing it, the interaction with uh, our informants is uh, probably the most amazing part of it. Because, I mean, literally, uh, the methods we used is not just like interviews and uh, post-LARP diaries, but we did a lot of archival research, we did uh, observations during uh, the preparations of the LARPs. So, maybe in Dracarys 2016, we had like nine months of preparation on the forum before at the actual event. So. 
players could actually talk with each other, coordinate on the on the house's uh, appearance and uh, develop other plots. So uh, you're, you're playing while you're doing it. And again, like part of my job is also being a participant observer. So uh, playing the LARP for me is also a way of getting data in observing people's interaction, but also understanding through my body uh, and my senses how this happens because bleed ultimately is an embodied feeling, right? It's not like purely mental. Like it affects you emotionally, you feel a weight in your chest for a week. So um, that is great. And we were very fortunate. We collaborated with two organizations, which I would like to shout out because they also organize amazing LARPs. The first is Terra Spezzate from Italy, and the other is not only LARP from Spain. And they were so open and so gentle. And I think that uh, speaks a lot about how LARPers and in general uh, role-playing gamers are communal when it comes to raising awareness about what they do is not that weird at all. Because again, like for somebody that's, that started role-playing in the 90s and for everybody who has watched Stranger Things and read about the Eddie Munson character, like it was not always cool, right, to be a nerd. So anything that... Uh, it's still... We're still in a, a weird place when it comes to LARP, right? Like, because... Before, if I ever mentioned that I was playing D&D with people that didn't do any nerdy stuff, it would be like almost like an eye roll or something completely alien or something that you wouldn't ask a second question about, right? Like, um, but now obviously I feel like, I think COVID had a big effect on this. I think Stranger Things, even like you go back to things like Lord of the Rings, but LARP still lives in a, in a very weird place. One, it's very small. It's very niche, right? Like, um, but also... I don't think people many many people come into contact with it, or or, or or society really allows the idea of play, open play like that. I think it's uh, something that that people uh, many societies still very much struggle with, right? Um, what one thing that you did mention in what you just said just then, and which I found really interesting when I was reading the paper, was the idea of the uh, this online relationship that's now developed, right? Like um, be that through Facebook groups, Discord, and other things. It's part of the community aspects, as also as well as like enhancing the live experience when you go through the through the communities that you kind of set up you know no it, it is and i think one of the reason why it uh, evolved is precisely covid i mean like through covid we couldn't larp anymore and we couldn't even especially uh, uh, it has been bad throughout the world but in melbourne we did two th 276 days of lockdown so no dungeons and dragons for anybody so we started just like playing uh, and how we retain our mental sanity was just like playing via via discord so uh, it, it's amazing that like even if you are far away or isolated for different reasons you have digital platforms that support you and the community element as well i think has changed both public opinion but also the quality of play in general because now you are exposed to uh, examples of what is a great costume, a great visual outfit, examples of how setting up locations in a stunning evocative way so that it facilitates immersion. Uh, you can watch videos, you can see what are quality interactions, you have discussion forums on what it means to play to lose rather than like uh, play competitively, so people understand that LARP is more than a hobby, is more than a just play, it's a discover of yourself through theatrical improvisation and to do that you have to allow yourself to lose and other people have to allow other people the space to express those scenes so uh, what, what you just said just then is something that like i think a lot of larpers still need to learn like i in fact it took me it took me a while like um i think creating a character that can roll ones and i mean that like even if that's a physical like you're out in the field and you mess up so badly like uh, i i very much agree and i think that's a it's a, a wonderful observation about role play that um 
you want to sometimes not playing like if you are reliant on that character being a hero then sometimes you're, it, well, you won't be and then you'll you'll have a terrible time so being able to create a character that's a bit more three-dimensional is i think deeply important um to to, to getting the most out of a roleplay experience in my opinion you know yeah absolutely and not only that i think also Levy, understanding that everybody has to be the protagonist so you can't dominate a scene especially when there is a big larp the risk is some people that are a little bit more ongoing outgoing and experienced may cut some of the space and i think the the best players i've seen are the ones that even if they are very experienced even if they can carry a scene for an hour by themselves they deliberately lose they deliberately give the space to other players to actually make the best out of their characters out of that scene Oh, that would be a wonderful world if we lived in it, uh, honestly. Um, yeah, it's I think... Uh, it's also very hard to do, not with characters, but uh, with our egos. And that is like a terrible beast. Uh, for me, I think I've had a, I've had a recent um, feeling with this character that I'm playing at the moment at Empire, where um, I'm, I'm re- I really like the narrative. So it's like a, a change of perspective. Instead of the, the character and myself being so aligned, like a, maybe a slightly turned up version of myself, and I'm the, my goals are very similar to my character's goals. Now I'm much more interested in the narrative of my character's journey rather than trying to take it on personally, and that's enabled to free me to enjoy the game significantly more in a whole bunch of things. It, it, it creates it so I'm more willing to take risks and enjoy all aspects of the game, be that a win or a loss, you know? So I think that's... Uh, personally where i am now a, a very good attitude to come to the game with you know and transformational potential as well right the more you play somebody that's detached from yourself the more you can explore things that you will never be exposed to or values mm-hmm. and ideas so and and that can be done at the character level but also the larp level depending on the theme one of the reasons why i loved conscience in spain is that I never thought about human-machine interaction. I never thought, like, if tomorrow we reach the singularity and we have sentient robots, would I treat them as humans or machines? And it took me three days and a lot of tears, collectively with the other players, to understand that probably as people. I like that. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds like a good game. That sounds like a really fun uh, game. That was, that was like... A... If you ask around, any player of conscience was very moved by. I have to say, it was the most uh, transformational LARP of my life, and I hope they do reruns because it's a, in a beautiful setting, in a movie set in the desert of Almir in Spain, and uh, the themes are are just not just human uh, robot interactions, but about what defines conscience in a human and uh, and other things, abuse and salvation and other quite mature themes, but uh, worth exploring. Yeah, I, I think this is an area that um, is constantly being pushed into in the, in the, in the wider international LARP community. Um, there are some things that are distasteful and some things that aren't. Those things vary from community to community and potentially who's doing them and who's observing them um so there's a there's there's a lot of pitfalls and 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 things to be careful of but me personally i'd like pushing myself to find out putting myself in 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 different situations in different role play environments that are 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 transformative to me as a human being right like um uh, a development of myself like i've had um i think about some of the the recent relationships that i've had with players i've never met before at the start of the weekend and had very intense emotional times with them that have made me question all sorts of things about my personal identity, which I would have never expected before going in. All of which was, I, I consider to be a very, very um, 
uh, like valuable experience because it's just exploring new parts of myself that I wasn't fully aware because I was playing um, like uh, when I say role I mean like a society role right like we all kind of have our own lane that we go in in our normal life so exploring those in a in a safe environment with others in a in role play is is deeply rewarding in my opinion um i don't know whether you know uh, much about the academics of the the benefits of larp and 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 come of the, some of the, maybe some of the pitfalls as well well um in terms of what we found or in general whether i'm aware of... you can just discuss we don't need to it doesn't need to be a grand jury on this we can just talk uh well um on the pitfalls, we'll talk later because that's also a very interesting aspect. Um, they kept asking us on the dark side of LARP, but I didn't want to write a paper on the dark side of LARPs. So that can be a different book. Uh, and, it can, and it's a book instead of paper because there is so much dark in that since the <laughs> we have enough. We have enough moral panic, right? Like, we don't yeah, need yeah, yeah. one certain subject. Right? Exactly. exactly. But as, you, as you mentioned, like, in the moment in which you start discussing quite mature thematics with certain dynamics, uh, bad things can happen. And luckily, most of the good organizers I know implement consent uh, techniques and uh, negotiation I've ever seen. So that's limited. But, like, uh, I also heard horror stories from other points. But uh, on the takeaways uh, of LARP, well, there's many. I'll, I'll just take... I don't want to be self-referential, but I just know this too well because I've worked uh, for years. It's, it's it's a LARP podcast. Don't worry about it. Like you can yeah, go yeah. as <laughs> indulge yourself, indulge yourself. You uh, know? The first, the first, which can be used uh, even with employers, uh, is that actually LARPs make you a better employee. They equip you with a better uh, capacity of reacting to uncertain uh, situations. Like when you LARP, you develop improvisational skills. You move from a reactive style to a proactive style. And based on whether you're a collaborative or a competitive player, that may require more or less time. But what we discuss in that other paper on uh, in Administrative Science Quarterly, which is called Developing Improvisational Skill, is exactly that. We look at how uh, people that are LARPing vampire for the years are able to develop a range of uh, skills that are very useful when you are in a business situation when you are in an organizational unit because uh, you don't have to be a firefighter or a SWAT team member like sorry for the french but shit happens all the time in every corporation right and you have to be ready and prepared and if you have that skill you can make sense of that and act on your feet and a larper does that all the time when you larp by definition, you have to design the game as a very intense movie. So uh, stuff and cues happen and pop out everywhere and you have to quickly react and adapt. So uh, that is what we've wrote in that. And the other one, very briefly, is the transformational aspect of being exposed to different situations. So what we wrote in the JCR paper on Bleed is that this process of returning and the emotional uh, drag that, that ensues allows you to question some ideas on yourself, as you were saying before, on your role. So, okay, I was playing the nobleman and now my boss is scolding me like, but is this the position I want? Uh, COVID is not a LARP, but is an example of an extreme situations that question a number of roles and settings. And after which, uh, upon returning, people started, oh, do I really want to live in a small apartment? Do I really want to uh, work a job that doesn't really mean much to me? And so you have other, maybe that's not necessarily bleed, but if we accept that we can translate uh, bleed from LARPs to broader extraordinary experiences and we make the epic assumption that COVID was quite an extraordinary experience, then you can explain the great resignation for bleed, like suddenly uh, something uh, has questioned. 
I think the connection is very very good, which I haven't put to I haven't put it, thought of it that way. But both are, I consider both in my head before you drew the parallel as mirrors, right? COVID was a mirror, LARP is a mirror. It's kind of like you're looking at yourself through um, these extraordinary circumstances, like you're saying. But it, it manages to really show you yourself, um, which can obviously be uncomfortable. Um, like I can't imagine what it was like for some people that had to stay inside a. Like I live in a flat, but I'm lucky I live have green spaces nearby me. For many people's experience, that wouldn't have been the case um, in relationships that weren't ideal. For example, um, the uh, I think LARP maybe has those aspects of being able to show yourself through and and give yourself a real good opportunity to have a good look at yourself in those circumstances and see how you feel about yourself. You know. Yeah, I think so. Good and bad, right? Like sometimes you also can feel very bad if you. Uh, we had many informants reporting; uh, they were playing the bad character or the evil character, or they wanted to explore uh, specific aspects of morality that luckily we cannot explore in daily life. And uh, there was a LARP. A girl was describing it was um, during the liberation in Italy from the Nazis, and she was playing the Nazis, and she had like a, a catharsis because what she. Uh, recounted is that like it was terrible not because of the historical aspect but be because I realized that we we were not the bad guys we thought we were doing good uh, and it's a terrible thing to realize right that probably most of these people were just part of a society that was dystopian there were some very evil people at the at the top of it with very deviant uh, objectives but then you can't condemn an entire nation with 78 million people right those there's, people there's, just there's, what's the What's the thing? There's never been an offensive war in history. Every single war has always been defensive for yes. some reason. Yes. We are we have to do this now, otherwise later on something. Yeah, we're 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 the ones under threat right now. So yeah, it's um everyone's the hero of their own story, even the villains, right? So That's yeah, right. um, I think like uh, I, I've uh, I'm still very much looking to get to more LARPs and play more characters, and I feel like I have a lot more character and a lot more that I want to explore with it. Um, recently I went to a, 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 like a cowboy Western LARP and uh, I was trying to play a bad guy. And uh, it's so difficult for me to be a really nasty human being. I know that sounds very self-reverential, but like I, I really struggled. And it's like, I had to kind of try and give myself rules on trying to be a bad guy and trying to get into it. Um, uh, but even then, I don't know how bad I was, you know, like, uh, or, or, or how bad you should be with a player experience sometimes when you're uh, when you're playing with other people, right? It's interesting. I don't know. It's it speaks to the fact that like, yeah, the concepts of good and evil are really complex, right? Like, hardly. Well, Dungeons and Dragons has a very historically really neat distinction. You have a paladins paladin which is lawful good and then you have a black guard which is lawful evil and that then that's it but i think in reality it's more complex as a matter of perspective so the beauty of larp is that it allows you to explore those psychological aspects because you have so many interactions that you can't most of the time unless you're a very stereotypical character be 100% evil right or 100% good there will be always some slips and so the the whole concept that you're good or or bad um, evolves. I'm thinking about Thanos in Infinity Wars. Like, was he evil? I don't know. I don't know. 
Yeah, I think he was, but um, the, uh, the 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 um, I know what you mean though the the kind of um, I think that's what makes most compe- that what make, make most compelling characters generally. Okay, like um, and and also interestingly, an actual big problem with the Marvel franchise as a an entirety is they tend to have very boring one note one motivated characters, and Thanos stands out particularly because. He's so interesting. He has relationships with his daughters. He has um, good intentions uh, with terrible methods. Like, this is what makes a great character either way, right? Like, um, good or bad. I agree. And I think they, they ended it as they started it. Like, the, what, what saved Marvel, really, and what also saved Disney later on is when they acquired uh, Marvel Enterprises was Iron Man. And Iron Man is such a great character because, yes, he's a... Uh, I don't remember the quote, uh, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist, genius, but he's also an alcoholic. He's also like a war merchant. He's also a lot of, he's egomaniac. So you have all this good and bad, and yes, he's good, but of course he has weaknesses, which is what makes characters relatable, because we all have. Yeah, and I think that's something that I would like to bring to pretty much every character I play in future would be if they're a good character, make them have flawed beliefs and all that stuff, right? Like, in fact, that's uh, often in, when we're talking about role play is what makes good game is that conflict between um, two characters thinking that they're doing the right thing, uh, or whatever that might be. Um, that's when really interesting stuff. Do you know what it reminds me of? This conf- the, what we're talking about right now is... Um, and this is a really nerdy tangent I'm about to go on. But um, when they were talking about the uh, Star Trek Next Generation, when that was being made, when they were writing certain episodes in that, um, that have very, very complex moral uh, discussions about um, who you are and outcomes of your actions and all the rest of it. Um, a lot of the time they would be arguing in the writer's room about which one was right and which one was wrong and not even coming to an actual conclusion by the time they would have to break up their writer's meeting. And those were always the episodes that were so good because even the people that were effectively being the, the creators of the narrative couldn't agree on what was the right or wrong decision of some things like that. So yeah, again, where the danger lives, but also where very interesting development things personally can live right yeah and i think that also is the same reason why i think game of thrones was very popular on top of like killing characters that you love but also apart from Ned Stark, <laughs> nobody's good right or or necessarily there, there are different degrees of evil but everybody in their own way commits what they have to do uh, in order of following their storylines and objectives so it, it, it gives depth to characters and it allows you to uh, to make them more real. So no, it's a great it's a great thing. Then again, Stranger Things is the opposite, right? Most characters are good or evil, and that's um, I think it's a balance, right? Uh, when entertainment but, comes out, you need both. But interestingly, though, you could argue, and this is controversial. This is I'm going to try and avoid any spoilers. By the way, if you're listening to this and like, oh my god, Dave's about to drop this thing, uh, I would say. Um, maybe the issue is that some of the even the good characters with good intentions um are not punished for their mistakes as much as they potentially should be in um in stranger things as time goes by and therefore some of the weight on some of the um more um intense uh, emotional scenes are detracted by a bit of plot armor which is the same thing that kind of happened to game of thrones right like what we like to see is if a character and ned stark's the absolute poster child for this because he was so focused on one thing and his morals and wasn't gray that's what made him weak in this world and i think that's kind of um maybe what's lacking in in some narrative that 
we don't want to have all of our heroes to be perfect, right? Like, we want them to be flawed. If you look at, I mean, that whole wave of the mid-2000s with... Uh, Breaking Bad, The Sopranos, all of these, like, all of their main characters are all horrible people, but, like, people loved them, you know? So, um, yeah, I suppose that's what you're trying to do as a character as well, because I know LARP characters that are, on all intents and purposes, are villains, but they're loved by the community. They're cheered on as they slime their way through <laughs> their game, yeah, you know? I think Littlefinger was one of the favourite characters and even the very first Dungeons and Dragons character, I, I, I forgot the name but like the the guy that was playing with Gary Gygax uh, solo, he was a lawful evil uh, warrior um, forgive me for, I, sh I should know this but I forgot it, he he was like loved and celebrated and has become a P an NPC in future manuals but he was inherently probably not a great player and, and very evil but then again I don't know. There is some fascination with a certain type of evil, I guess. The, the lawful evil alignment, particularly. Because everybody mm. like sees chaotic evil is like, oh, that's really bad. But lawful evil is a little bit... Uh, most of our politicians probably are lawful evil anyway, so we are more accustomed to, to, to that kind of um, reasoning than others. Well, this is an overstatement, so... No, I, I, I like that. I think the... Um... Yeah, lawful evil is my is my boogeyman. Like uh, that's that's the thing I that's the thing that motivates me to 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 fight and go against is like your what's that character in Harry Potter when they take over the school and they get that lady to be the new headmistress of the school or whatever, and she's very law and order and by the book, but in the most evil way possible, controlling, um, irrational, um, you know, judgmental, all those things, you know, so. Yeah, that's my antithesis for sure. Like as a as an adversary, that's uh, always good fun. You know, if you find one of those, a, a lawful evil evil. Um, maybe let's bring it back a little bit towards the the paper and and bleed. Um, let's talk about like uh, let's start going into some sort of the the, the general conclusions that you managed to draw. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about the 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 two different types of bleed that you kind of there, there were a bunch of different types, but spe specifically. Uh, I don't want to get the wording wrong. There were some lovely diagrams in the paper. Maybe maybe you can just tell me what they are, you know, instead of me trying to grip. Yes. Um, so we labeled them uh, um, dissociation and disembedding. Um, let me tell, there were more than two. We ended up with two because uh, what we were more interested for the sake of that paper was looking at the trajectory of returning, but um, other scholars in um, in the LARP discipline have discussed uh, multiple types of, of bleed and we had more, but the two that made it in the final cut are disembedding, and that is the sense of separation between yourself and the place you were. And by place, I don't mean only the location with its beautiful scenographies and 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 whatnot, but also the the immaterial place, the fantasy place, the the setting that you have to overlay in that location to make uh, the suspension of disbelief possible. So that is disembedding. When you come back, but you carry with you that sense of imaginary space. And then we have dissociation, which is the separation uh, between you and your character in body, but not in mind. So you are another person, and now you drop off your costume, but there's still somewhere lingering in the corners of your mind a shadow of the person you've been for three days. And that is there and tells you what and who you were in those days and sometimes calls for negotiation, like, was that character or can I learn something about me? 
Can you maybe give some kind of real world just for the listeners of, of what examples of what they would be maybe just to, just to clarify what you mean? Of course, like I'll give you like real life example that happened after conscience. So an example of disembedding was not just like missing tremendously the beautiful setting which we were because it was an entire Western city, but also some of the instinct that I developed in those three days, right? Um, so I was at a bar with another player and suddenly we hear a bang, like something fell. And I instantly went with my hand to my gun that was no longer there, looking like a fool in the middle of the street. Because that is what I did for the past three days. Like every 20 minutes there was somebody shooting and I developed this thing, okay, reach, to, reach for your gun. So that will be a trace of uh, the habits and the instincts that you develop while you are in the imaginary world. I was like, I was about to say, this is really funny because I was about to say, oh, well, I definitely haven't been affected by the first one, but maybe the second one. And I was just like, no, wait, now you've broke that world. A hundred percent I've done that. I walk around with my um, my hand on my sword uh, with my left hand, like it's, uh, but it's not there. Um, I'll pull my jacket back after I went to the uh, cowboy LARP. Like I had to have good, quick access to my gun if that something was happening. Like really built in reactions to stimulus outside. Yeah, sure. That's great. Uh, what about the other one? Well, the association is probably easier even. It's just you've been another person for three days. And if you didn't break character, you had to behave in ways that most of the time are different from yours. So when you come back, you have this overlap between you and your role. So you're sitting in the office, you're trying to write and flashes, images, thoughts about the character come through. And you start lingering with your mind and reflecting on the people that you met, whether who they were, because sometimes you play a LARP and you don't really, you don't even meet people, you meet characters, and then you don't really, to what extent is this person the character? So the process of dissociating between you and the character, but also the people that you meet and their character is uh, what we put into the dissociation label. Very much had this. In fact, I had a, an interesting conversation. I went to a, it was a friend of mine's birthday, a, a, a LARPer photographer, and I went down and met a whole bunch of other LARPers. And one of the things I was talking to them about was like, um, when you spend a weekend with a group of people, especially at the smaller, say, 50-person uh, events where you kind of get a good feel of everyone else there and you can have some pretty intense moments, um, but them being strangers to you and despite having these very intimate moments throughout the weekend or intense moments, by the time that the weekend comes to end, they're still a stranger to you. Or are they, right? Like, how much of it that experience was their character or how much of it was them behind their character? It's a... It's, it's, uh, it's a bit of a head fuck <laughs> when you really think about it, you know? It is. Um, in 2016, after the, we were playing the Tyrells, House Tyrell, and we were really amazing. I loved it. Everybody was so passionate and interactive and, and generous in their improvisational cubes. And then the week after, we organized a, a retreat uh, in, a, in a house. Uh, somebody had a large house. And that was literally a mindfuck because it looked like, oh, wow, there's 12 strangers. And it was so awkward at the beginning because, okay, so, hi, I'm... And you're not wearing your you're not wearing your protective shield of character, right? So if anyone was playing, and I assume most people are going to go from, very few players are going to go from confident to nervous, right? Like I, like as a as a as a character transition, most people are going to try and go for. I'm quite an anxious person, but I'm going to try and play more of a confident person. I think that's I think that's a fair statement to say. So I assume everyone's dropped their characters. They're they're dropping their shield and their their drive to engage confidently. You know, so that's kind of an interesting thing you know yeah no absolutely uh but that is there was an italian poet uh Luigi Pirandello that 
uh, it was not a LARP because they not, did not exist, but he wrote about uh, the fact that each each one of us wears a mask every day. And the masks that we live in our everyday life are particularly complex because we only have that, right? It's not like in a LARP, you can always change it, right? You only have this in everyday life and you have to uh, manage it um, cautiously. I think that's, I think I, 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 that very, very true. Very, very true. And in fact, it's something that I wish I'd learned to do earlier was to be able to play around with this mask and swap it out because I find it so unbelievably rewarding. Um, even when I've been playing um, silly characters, uh, in it, like one LARP, I did a, I played like a French noble character and I spoke with a terrible French accent for the entire weekend. Complete comedy character, really, really silly. Um, but even that character had beautiful touching moments that um affected me deeply afterwards and uh you know part of me was like wow there's some it's it's fun playing a lovable buffoon and then realizing like oh well maybe maybe i should actually take some of these characteristics on myself maybe i do take myself too seriously and uh you know if someone walked past me as um as Jean-Michel Dubois, I I would uh, if someone called me an idiot. I would I would immediately act outraged, but would the water it would rub off, water off a duck's back uh, by after five minutes, right? And I think like maybe there's some aspects of that that I would love to take onto myself and be like, hey, you know, I'm awesome, and uh, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what other people say. I can be outraged and then get on with my day, you know. Well, I think this is really something we should all treasure. There, as you said, most people tend to take themselves very seriously, and I think LARPs helps. Um, to diminish that. And I think we will live much better if we took ourselves a little bit less seriously or at least not bother other people that wish to do so, which has been the, the drama and the tension uh, between the broader community and in general people that uh, role play for uh, the past 30 years, I guess. But hopefully it gets better. I, I, I'm, I'm completely confident it will. I, there's no, I, I, there is no, oh no, we're gonna, there may be, but like it's, it's, society has moved past that right the okram's window whatever was the, the not okram's window was the the anyway uh the, the yeah the the framing of of what we are and how we interact with the world and what we enjoy has changed completely um and there's just too much information to say that it's it's a negative thing right like if you i i think if you had a whole campaign done by um uh, that the, the, we have a pretty strong press in the UK that kind of like can pretty much dominate any any issue it wants to. So if you did manage to get the ire of some of those larger papers, potentially you could have some moral panic. But generally, I think like most people know, us going off to the fields and and having a good time is 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 only really beneficial, and the harm involved is, yeah, compared to say a music festival, for example, when the stuff that goes on at music festivals is truly shocking and criminal. Uh, I would say a lot more of the, the, the those aspects are, are unfortunately ubiquitous, but when you have like large volumes of people coming together, unfortunately. Whereas I find actually in a LARP society, those tend to be a lot more uh, self-governed. Um, there's a lot more um, protections in place for those players, hopefully, in, in whichever LARP you go to. Um, so the community aspect, I think, is a bit better at kind of like mitigating some of those, those society problems, you know. Oh, I agree. Um, the community aspect of LARP and the fact that you play, so it's a form of uh, escape from current problems or just like tiredness and boredom. But the fact that you're doing that collectively towards a specific goal is, I think, a type of positive escape as opposed as 
to other negative, I don't know, drugs would be an example of very negative escape. It's a very, can be collective and mostly individualistic and it's destructive because you are escaping your consciousness but with something that has very negative long-term effects and also mm. unpleasant short-term ones most of the time. Yeah, I, I think I've often questioned, I mean, even in the last couple of years, I've questioned how healthy my love of escapism is. Um, like, uh, do I enjoy becoming a different character too much? Do I like disappearing? Oh, pardon me. You know, a very serious point there. I burp in the middle of it. But the um, the uh, the idea of like, am I am I ignoring reality by wanting to to separate from myself and immerse myself in a different reality? Um, after a long time thinking about it, it feels more like it's helping my my version of reality is by role playing it's it's the other way around from the kind of like reactionary view of trying to escape would be in fact it's uh it's making me significantly stronger in the real world by role playing if that makes sense absolutely and that is the final point in the paper the transformational trajectories that we discussed that larping and bleed can be a positive transformational force when it creates a tension with the game and the everyday when it allows as you say to reflect on yourself or to reflect on uh, situations in which you uh, are every day and you're dissatisfied with uh, that allows a transition that can discover new perspectives on uh, issues you never confronted before and ultimately hopefully makes you a better person so i completely agree that is exactly what we wrote uh, as the conclusion of that paper yeah maybe i mean um i'll just let you kind of I, 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 I think um, I could ask you a leading question, but I think maybe um, maybe you could just tell us some of the conclusions of the paper um, and, and and kind of if you're happy with those conclusions, if you're not happy with those conclusions and what you want to kind of do next, really. I'll, I'll just give you the floor, really, if you want to just go for it. Yeah, well, um, again, like the, the, the last takeaway we, we included, last finding was trying to uh, not just understand what are the forces of bleed, the different types of bleed, and how it can get more intense depending on your level of satisfaction with your role or with uh, your current situation, with your embeddedness in the everyday. It was also to see, based on different bleed intensities, what is your journey back. So uh, we were looking at you, you can just participate in the LARP and have zero bleed. Bleed is not a given. A lot of people don't bleed at all. Uh, they just enjoy the experience, but they take it as like entertainment and escapism. That's completely fine. Some other people feel the trace of this embedding and dissociation, but what they do is they miss a lot the setting and the characters. So maybe they're trying to compensate that by accessing them by playing again or accessing cultural materials that are based on that. So if I play the Game of Thrones LARP and I'm really missing the Westeros, I'm going to play uh, the card game, I'm going to rewatch the episodes and whatnot. And that is a form of compensatory access that does not necessarily... Um, require me LARPing, but what it allows me to do is to negotiate my uh, relationship with the setting, with the lore. But the one we are most interested with is um, the, trans the, the cathartic return, the one in which bleed has created a tension with your everyday life and you have to negotiate it. You have to ask questions about who you are, you have to question what you do, what you believe in, and if the result of this process is a moment of enlightenment or a little piece of understanding of who you are and where you want to be, then you have achieved one of the greatest things a lot can give you, which is a moment of growth. 
Uh, there's also negative on in, into that. Sometimes there's a little bit too much growth to somebody that has very problematic uh, situations at home. Uh, people we interviewed, um, and we'll keep it anonymous, but people that were in abusive relationships or people that suffer divorce or other things, and then they happen to play a character that had divorced, and that can create triggers, right? So then the bleed is a little bit too much, and you have a delayed process. It will take much more than a week to process all of this. Uh, and also probably help from other people around you. The good thing of LARPing is that it's communal. So in LARPs in which you discuss strong themes, the role of the community and the role of organizers in creating the briefings is very pivotal for, uh, let's say, a successful transition. But even even if those are the premises, you can still have a moment of uh, realization. And we were very happy to see that one of these people that was in this abusive relationship managed to break out. And two years later, we recontacted her and, and she basically exited and she and her kids were safe and sound away and she basically recovered. So that's also very uh, good. And if a LARP did that, that is, that is great, honestly. Yeah. Hell yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think like uh, the it's it's the problem is like we all come into life with trauma and we're all have our backstories, our real world backstories. Uh, one thing I find is whenever I've played a lot character, even if at the time I've been like this character is so different from me. Wow, they're just like I'm so so pleased with myself that I've managed to create this character that's nothing like me at all. And then after the after time playing the character or after time having been away from the character, I'll look at the character again and be like, oh my god, it's just a it's a giant allegory for me, right? Like it's one. I just didn't view it from the right angle when I was looking at it when I created the character, but so many aspects of that character. Um, I personally have had um, deeply affirming moments, or at least being uh, being made aware of um, uh, not issues. Issue. I can't think of a better word than issues, but like um, the, the the kind of. Uh, social pressures I've put on myself or, or previous experience I've put on myself and being able to view it through it like an abstraction layer. Um, so I managed to work through certain, uh, and again, if you're actually suffering from severe psychological trauma in any way, go and see a professional, but I'm just talking anecdotally here. But the um, being able to observe some of those small T traumas through the abstraction layer of role play, when I wasn't even conscious of the factors that, that those were the issues I was uh, talking about. Like you talk about like the, the divorce character playing, a, the divorce person playing a divorce character. Well, you might end up playing that character, but with something that you can't even um, put that as a solid link together, right? So you might be role playing an aspect of yourself, deal with that trauma. And then only after when you come back from the event, you're like, holy shit, like, uh, did I just, <laughs> did I just learn like a whole bunch about myself and, and kind of change my thought pattern behavior on certain aspects, or at least uh, for a moment, having conscious clarity of the, of something that you might be able to develop in the future. Right. And, and, and I think it's interesting that I constantly have to caveat this. Like, uh, this isn't the first time I've talked about like the beneficial aspects of going to LARP, um, and also some of the pitfalls to it, but constantly having to like caveat the fact is that like, this is not a magic bullet, right? Like this is, um, in fact, I did a good interview recently with a lady, uh, a person called Kay, uh, and they, um, they put forward that it's like, in addition to professional help, it's very, very good. So addition rather than the main, uh, the, the the main source of therapy is is very important. But if you if you if you don't feel like therapy is for, uh, it, it, your issues are serious enough for therapy, um, or 
you're just a regular person empaths and also i would say uh when i talk about mental health i talk about everyone like i'm talking about me i'm talking about you i'm talking about the listeners at home i'm talking about like everybody has uh mental health um everyone has mental health and we all have interactions with it differently um and i don't think there's any harm in in developing uh those skills even if you think oh i'm really happy with life right like your life your life will can you should always like in my opinion developing learning uh improving adapting is the stuff that makes life itself worthwhile living you know 100 percent and of course larps are not a substitute to therapy uh, but they can do really great things. They can spot a problem that you didn't even realize you had because they can expose you to those situations that may act as triggers. And look, truth, truth be told, LARP uh, is basically, it was developed as a psychodrama. Like uh, Jacob Moreno developed LARPing as a way of uh, facing your demons in a theatrical way. And if you go even back further in time, uh, in general, like rites, ritualistics, ceremonial rites, uh, are all a way of representing certain demons that we want to face and make real, because uh, as long as they're in our head, it's harder to face them. But like when you represent them and when you when you can actually put them in, in a space, in, in a character, it becomes much easier to reflect on those. So yes, you cannot substitute professional help, but surely is... Um, something that can give you some insights on uh, not necessarily a problem but something you may wish to to work on to become a better human being yeah at the the end of the day we're all human beings and there is a kind of like uh, a psychological like i'm bear my guy i'm not an academic so i'm just going to use words that i think might make sense but like a a kind of uh the the psychological mechanics of being a human being right like we have our physical mechanics but there's also a mental side of our mechanics um now we're all very different but there are certain things that we can all do like um i find it funny and i like bringing this up as an example of why people like horror movies okay like we, we like to watch horror movies and we like to scare ourselves and we like to simulate that sensation of fear right like um, we don't want to actually be scared but we like to simulate the idea of being scared and we like to live in those spaces and and enjoy being scared with friends around us in a safe environment um and that's a, I, I like bringing up horror movies because it's an interesting way to approach larp because both are immersive and just because i'm role-playing a thing doesn't mean i necessarily actually really in the real world want anything to do with that i don't want to be uh don't go to war and have a bloody experience and all that stuff and um and i don't want to die and i don't want to kill other people right but within the safe environment of narrative um those those uh mental uh mechanics i can start to kind of play around with in a fun environment and like how good is that? Like you get to self-improve yourself um, and, and learn new hard skills as well as learn things about yourself. But you get to do it while having fun. Like this is what a wonderful hobby LARP is. Like uh, what a treat. No, and I love the parallel with horror movies because it's exactly like that. They're very similar. They're very intense, thrilling, uh, potentially threatening, but you don't die, right? You can... There is a beautiful song by Tool called Vicarious. Uh, it's about... We have a need of of that, of that threat, of seeing things that are perilous, but uh, from a safe distance. And being the distance from the TV or the distance from uh, uh, the two worlds that LARP and uh, LARPing and everyday life are, uh, that allows us exactly to do, to do that, to exercise our fears and demons and to explore a little bit more about ourselves. 
Well, conflict's important, right? Like, and 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 um, like I, I know the majority of people I'm speaking to uh, live in the West, or your Westerners living in different parts of the world. Like, this is kind of my understanding of our, our, our listener base. Um, we have pretty good lives. Um, I. I very rarely worry about being hungry or feeling unsafe or any of these very real world things. And I'm not saying these are, oh, how lucky people are that live with these things in their lives, right? But um, uh, th- there are aspects to uh, when, uh, how do I describe this without being mean? Like your life your life can become very bland without any rough edges in it, right? Like, and you can start to become wayward in your own life if there is no challenge and no... Uh, interest and no agency agency i think is actually the more important word out of the ones i just described it's uh the, the kind of lack of uh, being going down a, a single path in your life and i yeah. think like larp is one of those aspects that will really help it it doesn't even need to make the change it can just be the experience that is important to mitigate some of the things that you might be missing in the rest of your life potentially uh, i don't know uh, whether i completely agree with that but it's an interesting point. <laughs> the beauty is that like every LARPer is different and we LARP for different motivations. So there are people that LARP to bleed them. They seek actively bleed. They want to be challenged. They want to experience transformation. Uh, I, I really like what you said about like paraphrasing happiness is not really useful, right? Nobody has ever grown from being content. By definition, I'm content with my current situation. I'm not going to change it, right? So it's like, it's for sadness that you have catharsis and growth. Um, but then there are other LARPers that just do it for fun and other ones that just do it as an escape because they're very dissatisfied. I have met some of the dark examples of people that are uh, not so great people, even if the majority of humanity have met is wonderful. There's uh, a couple of rotten apples and they use LARPs as a way of expressing those frustration in the game. That is something nobody really wants. But uh, I, I, yeah, there's, there's there's lots of aspects to this, like uh, be it be a LARP game and like, oh, I always choose to be the baddie or I come up with an excuse to be uh, to, to reduce other players experience is basically what I'm saying. Right. Like you can be a baddie and enhance other people's experiences or you can be a baddie and just reduce game um, and, and make people's weekends worse. And you're doing that because uh, if you're angry at yourself, you're angry at the world, blah, blah, blah. like uh, these are things that um like what we're talking about here is toxic play, right? Um, and this can come down to other stuff like uh, uh, your your uh, your gender's opinion of a different gender, for example, is a very common one um, that that people might feel want to lash out on a field or feel that they can do that because they're in a game, and it's like that that I find um, well unbelievably bad, basically. And it but it does happen. But at the same time, I yeah, I'll t- I'll t- I'll talk about this. The um, my own interaction with uh, women in uh, and and how they are the, the the one thing that I learned from LARP was um, men talking over women. It, it happens all the time, and like LARP is the thing that really hammered that home to me in a very real world setting. Um, in my normal in my normal life, it, it probably does come up, but in LARP, it's 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 painfully obvious because everyone's very passionate and wanting to to engage and wanting to put their and they want to be verbose and 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 get their point across. Um, but unfortunately, it tends to be a lot of women that they talk over, um, which is which is a huge problem. But it made me very deeply aware of that when I'm listening to conversation at LARP. I don't know whether I would have such a good understanding of that in my head now if I didn't have the education I had through through playing games like Empire, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And 
Um, I played in 2019 a LARP called The Metra, and it was about gender dynamics. And it was in a future alternative society in which um, gender balances were swapped. So uh, women were in power, they were more physically strong, they were in positions of... Uh, uh, they were in the clergy, the Pope was a woman, and mm. all men were weak, frail, and they died at the age of 35. And it was a yeah, beautiful we, story. Yeah, we, uh, we, we did the original sin. We were foolish and didn't listen to the wisdom of our, uh, our female counterparts and ate the apple and released sin into the world, all of that stuff, right? Like, uh, when you start playing around this, I, immediately I'm like, oh my God, there's so many fucking problems with what you're describing right now. Uh, but most of me is like, this sounds amazing. Like, I also think, like, uh, I want to have the right organization. I want to be with the right players and I want to have the right safety measures in place um, to play a game like that. But in theory, I don't see any issue beyond, if those things are all in place that game sounds amazing right like uh you have a lot of consent and other things but it, it, it's great because it forces a lot of men that never reflected on toxic masculinity and general stereotypes that are embedded in patriarchal society to realize actually how in many situations uh, there's not a parity which should be there so uh for some cultural differences uh i played international run and that was great i heard that the Italian, purely Italian run, which tends to be a little bit more masculine, was not so good because there was a, a cultural resistance to embrace um, uh, the opposite roles. So, mm. And that also speaks about the, the reason why you need these LARPs that uh, deal with current issues, right? With, well, uh, with history, with war. Even if you're pushing, even just, even just the idea of swapping genders begs the question, what are we swapping? Okay, like, um, and, and that is a, a deeply philosophical conversation anyway, and could be like some of the outcomes of that conversation would be quite offensive to people, right? Like, so. Let me clarify. We, in the LARP, they didn't swap genders. They swapped oh, sorry. The dynamics, right? Yes. So men were but they were like in, in, a, in a weaker. It was like, isn't a different alternative take to the 60s in the US, uh, so to say, uh, in which you will have the stereotypical man in the kitchen doing the dishes while the woman is, I don't know, uh, smoking a pipe and reading the newspaper. Like, you know, that very stereotypical image uh, from the 60s, but swapped and embedded into a spy story that goes on to, I don't want to spoil it because uh, they may rerun it, but it makes question the, the gender the gender balance dynamics uh, of our current days. But yeah, yeah, yeah you know, as you said, it, it requires, of course, as every LARP that deals with mature themes uh, negotiation of scenes uh, and safety mechanics and and everything that is uh, related to uh, that. I also want to play games where um, I like. I want to push myself for sure. Like there's there's no I, I there's I, there's no way I want to kind of. I enjoy LARPing casually, um, but I really enjoy hardcore roleplay. Like um, I want I want to learn as much as I can about myself, uh, and often that can be pretty hardcore LARPs. The the range out there is vast. Um, and you can come into contact with extremely adult and extremely thought-provoking subject matter um, that many people won't feel comfortable. So, so if you're listening to this um, and you are going to these different LARPs, um, and then bear in mind there's no LARP license. You don't need a license to do a LARP. Anyone can do a LARP. So if you are going to these sort of events, um, 
read their terms and conditions, try and get an idea for the culture base that you're going into. Um, often their Facebook groups will give a very clear indication of sort of what culture is acceptable and what culture isn't. Um, so I'd highly recommend if you are going on this journey for more intense things, then try and be careful. Be, be, be safe is basically what I'm saying, you know. Do your research. Right? The community is open enough. Um, you, you you can know who the organizers are and what the themes. A lot of these very popular alarms um, were launched. Well, now COVID has disrupted it, but like uh, inside Hamlet, I think it's a very potentially disturbing LARP, very transformative. But they're like very strong scenes. Uh, I've been told. I've never played it, but every player that has played that uh, tells me it's the most intense LARP they ever played and so you can just like talk with people that have already played it and understand without spoilers like what are the level what, what's the zone of discomfort that every larp has right uh, the I've, big zone the greater transformation but of course everybody has a limit yeah i've kind of got to this point now where i'm starting to recognize similar faces and i know this sounds kind of dumb but even the player base which actually it's not even dumb the player base is actually incredibly important these are the people that you'll be uh you know playing with each weekend uh are people i don't even know they wouldn't even know who me but i am by name uh, they might know me by sight but i've got a good understanding of especially because of the online side of things who's going to an event what sort of uh games i've been to with the, a similar sort of crowd and it gives me a lot of confidence when I'm going to an event that I see certain familiar faces, even if I don't know them personally. I've probably played games with them in the past. It's usually a sign that, hey, this is this is going to be a good game, right? Like uh, the people are going to hear are going to want to engage in a in a responsible manner, um, and I'm going to have a a, a a good time, you know, like. Uh, Hundred percent. I mean, like knowing the player base. These are the people with whom you have very deep interactions, right? So you want to have an idea, and even if you don't know them directly, you want at least to know somebody that knows them because you never know, right? It just uh, like contamination theory is the theory that says it takes like just a minimal amount of something to spoil a large amount. It just needs like a, a drop of sand, right? So it just takes one negative play, one toxic player. And then if you have like another 50 player, that's 49, neg 50 negative interactions that can spoil the game. So you want to make sure also there is not policing, but at least like keeping the yeah. community safe from certain characters. Yeah. And this is the problem, like, uh, and you're at your most vulnerable potentially when you first come into the ho hobby, because you're not aware of the, um, a lot of the social contracts that we have as players, right? Like if uh, me as a more experienced player bumps into someone that I feel is, it's clearly breaching social contract or breaking something fundamental that 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 um that that uh, about what's happening. I'll either immediately, uh, yeah, I, uh, either if it's affecting another player, maybe step in. If it's affecting me, immediately evacuate myself from the situation. Talk to a referee and just make sure everything's fine. But um, unfortunately, as a new player, that you are at the position when you are most vulnerable to having the most amount of bullshit that you can get because um. I wouldn't tolerate that now. Whereas uh, if I kept, first came into a hobby and I was still trying to understand the, 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 the dynamics of what I was doing, I might let more slide, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, but hopefully, hopefully podcasts help. So uh, who knows, you know, who knows? Yeah, and times changing and people getting a little bit more conscientious, but there's nothing worse than ruining a new player that it's trying for the first time than having a bad experience because there is a toxic player. Yeah. Um, let's talk about. I, I have. I was just, uh, we're probably not going to talk that much more about the academic stuff now. We're just going to chat because I'm enjoying myself. But the um, let's talk a little bit about like the international stuff because I've I've obviously, I've only larped in the UK. Uh, we've had a a fairly 
a big shift. I haven't been in the hobby for decades, but from what I understand, it's it's been um, uh, much more inclusive, uh, much safer. Uh, in fact, the quality has gone up significantly in the UK. Um, there's just a, it seems to be an upward trend all across every every metric that you possibly hope to measure with UK LARP, and they all seem to be very very positive over here. Is that your kind of experience, uh, uh, say in um, internationally, from your experience? Say so, yes. I think then again, like bear in mind, it has evolved massively. I started LARPing in uh, 2004, right? So things have changed uh, uh, a lot. I started LARPing internationally later on uh, after 2016. But I remember at the beginning, some dynamics in the uh, Mediterranean uh, scene were not the best, right? So uh, my experience internationally, especially with uh, Nordic LARPs, has been excellent. I mean, um, all the LARPs that are influenced by the Scandinavian current tend to put great emphasis into safety conducts, uh, negotiation of scenes and anything, social contracts that have to be in place uh, before the game can start. And even after they have very, um, in uh, in conscience and even in the metro, they have this beautiful debriefing exercises that allow you to transition safely from the LARP into everyday life. So you have the LARP, it ends, but then you have like a gray zone, this liminal space in which you can say goodbye to your character, say goodbye to a character you are particularly connected to, and so on and so forth, conclude a scene that you didn't have the time to conclude. And, and in that sense, I have only to speak uh, positive aspects. I, I was very lucky. I never had a direct experience. I have some horror stories, but directly I never had any issue. It was uh, very respectful, very uh, well organized. And in the end, all the players had the most amazing experiences. Mm. Uh, I actually, um, I'm, I'm the, the my white whale is uh, at the moment trying to find someone that's very knowledgeable about nordic larps um i've come into contact with people that know stuff but i really want to hit the the the, the fucking mother load i don't know i don't know who this person is oh, but i need person, to speak to them uh, well this person oh there, there's a few there's a few um uh, one would be Uzva Seregina. She's a she's a consumer psychologist, well, consumer researcher as well, and she is uh, well. She's also Scandinavian, so uh, even uh, country of origin uh, effect. But she has written uh, uh, a lot about that, and she published a wonderful book called. Um, it's about a negotiation between play and fantasy. It's a great book. I don't remember the name. Um, Marcus Montola, I think, is another Scandinavian uh, scholar. And then Sarah Bowman, she's another uh, great academic. She f focuses on LARPs and especially transformative LARPs. I think they recently started a, a YouTube series on, on, uh, on the transformative power of, uh, of LARPs. How do you feel about the future of LARP? like i'm talking to you just not an academic as a player like how are you feeling like what do you what do you feel about the future of larp and 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 feel where it could be in society in say 10 20 30 years for example 
are very positive. Um, we have already excellent examples of how LARP is used in education in Sweden. There's a lot of schools that use it as an educational tool. Uh, it's used also, uh, interestingly enough, like last month I received an email from an agricultural company that wanted to organize a LARP um, on, on climate change and the effects on crops and to, for their employees. So it can be a sim it's an excellent simulation tool. Um, we've wrote a paper as a joke in 2019 called LARPnography, how actually LARPs are better than meetings in uh, uh, tackling issues. Uh, and actually, it, did, it actually worked more than we thought, because uh, some people listen to that. So uh, I think LARP is great at individual level, uh, because it's an instrument of growth at an educational level, because it can teach you long-lasting skills. But also, as a method to probe the future, LARPs can really put yourself in a situation that you can have. Because we talk about a climate change, but try to do a LARP where the temperature is actually five degrees higher and just live your normal life. And then, then when you return, we will, we will see whether that had an impact or not. Because we know temperature and the high temperature is terrible for you, for the environment. Uh, you, you, you get more aggressive, interactions are uh, more abrupt. So um, as a simulation tool, I think it will be increasingly used also in companies to, to tackle certain things. And again, companies as well, they use uh, role playing is used to simulate uh, transaction and negotiations. So um, I think it will be more and more embedded uh, and take the place that it deserves because it's the best simulation tool we have and we've been doing this since the roman ages so there's no reason why we should forget about it uh, even just hearing you talk just then it's quite funny how we had to put in um uh, this digital interface for a lot of people to learn how to role play and that's kind of be that through uh computer games for example like big mmos online um and then now people playing D and D and stuff, but that's given people a little bit of distance. Kind of uh, want to do it live. Um, we get a lot of, like a, I get a few messages from new players, and um, LARP certainly does seem to be the tonic. It's the it's the opposite from lockdown. It's the <laughs> exact polar opposite in my mind of what what it felt like to be in lockdown is to LARP. It's 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 physical. It's real. It's interactive on a, a like face to face level. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm curious. I feel like the, I feel like there's a professional barrier that's holding back LARP at the moment. I don't know how this, how to square this circle financially. Um, is to try and go away from a, a more a less volunteer based system to a more professional where everyone's paid from the writers to the toilet attendants to the security to everyone else. And I, 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 I don't know how the economics of that really works. Um, or whether that's something I actually want, which is the other thing about this, which is by the, the development and the potentially corporatification, is that even a word? Um, but the, uh, it's a word, right? Uh, yeah. um, the, uh, and whether that would be a good thing or a bad thing, right? Like, um, like music festivals. I, I love music. Don't particularly going to enjoy going to large corporate music festivals uh very much um it's lost some of the things that i enjoy about going to those events so i i don't know it's complicated right yeah i think there's a parallel literature on that if you think about burning man at the beginning when it started it was like 30 40 people and then it evolved in a massive mainstream phenomena in which brands which were outcast at the beginning now sponsor it so there's always this tension right there's always this tension between yes the con 
if you want to keep the content high, uh, the numbers have to be small. If you want to make it mainstream, you have to compromise a bit on content. And also, uh, professional, that is a whole uh, episode on the professionalization of, uh, of LARP uh, groups. I, I met a couple and since now, until now, they didn't really do great because the issue is that when you start doing it not, not as a volunteer, but as a professional, you have to increase costs, right? You have to pay the writers, the sonographers, and that, of course, is an additional cost that goes on uh, on the people that come. So, uh, And you're also like, these people are willing to do something for free anyway, right? Like, uh, if I talk about, like, oh, you know, um, having all LARP so, so based on uh, volunteering is problematic, but you'll find pretty much most volunteers will just respond with, I wouldn't get to go to LARP if I didn't give my time instead of that, so therefore uh, it's a complete trade and I'm comfortable with that trade, right? It is a hobby, true, but some if you organize a LARP for 400 people and you're the main director, that becomes a job. So uh, what, what I've not yet seen and I hope that happens eventually is for LARPs that are based on mainstream cultural products like Game of Thrones or The Witcher, they can become a form of PR and promotion, right? So if you uh, launch new- Hold on, hold on. You're talking about companies joining those two links up. That's, that's not going to happen. Like... Uh- yeah. That is my dream. It has never happened, but one day. <laughs> yeah, one day. If, if, yeah, I I agree with you 100%, whether that will ever happen or there's some executive... Do at... sets and we'll do the rest. Yeah, hopefully, right? Hopefully this is where people like you come into the world and hopefully move this little shuffleboard on the extra few spaces that we need it to go on, right? Um, yeah, the... Um, uh, it's, yeah. I'm very sorry, but I have to leave no, I'm. I'm also. I think I'm talked out, but I could literally talk to you for hours, and I hope one day that we we get to do this in person. Uh, quite frankly, um, it's been a pleasure. I'll be back in Europe next year, and hopefully, I'll be able to LARP somewhere. Um, is there anything that you wanted to kind of close with? Any kind of closing ideas or, or thoughts that you wanted to kind of put out there in the world just before we go? Um, look, I don't want to be arid, but I think we discussed some pretty pretty intense uh, themes about the power that LARP has to be transformational. So I think it's that really, if I can really close against the the stereotypes, which yes, we believe they are gone, but uh, let me tell that once more, LARPers are great human beings that also have added improvisational skills. So if anything, uh, those should be recognized rather than thrown on. And, And I know the situation gets better and better, but you always have, and I'm an academic that does not solely study LARP because nobody will take me seriously, right? I have a completely other consumer psychology uh, research program based on communication processes because when I present these things, uh, some people still laugh, right? Because for them to see people in costumes is uh, ludicrous, but uh, there will always be these people, but hopefully uh, less and less. Hey, if you like Gandhi said, if uh, be the change you want to see in the world, right? Like be be the enlightened people walking through the world, um, and be an example of people that are cool that LARP, right? Like uh, I think that's it. Um, thank you so much for your time. Basically, uh, thank you to our patrons who uh, get no benefits from supporting the podcast apart from uh, uh, facilitating um, me being able to talk to people like you. So um, thank you everyone for listening. Um, We'll, we'll do this again soon. Hopefully we'll have more episodes like this because uh, I don't know about you listening, but I've really enjoyed this conversation and getting into some uh, pretty interesting topics. Um, and if you do like this sort of thing, please let us know and we'll endeavor to try and chase those up. But um, uh, we usually end with a, a call and response uh, or some sort of outro line. Is there anything that you wanted to just say? Uh, I don't know. Is there an expression from a, a LARP you've been to or, or something... Um, 
I don't know. So I've put you on a bit of a, a spot here. I'll just close with quoted um, a lab from one of the last LARPs I played in which I was playing a little finger, which is Chaos is a Ladder. <laughs> <laughs> Chaos is a Ladder. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>